Let us to be here, whether it's decisions by people to plant this church or decisions by you and I to come and join this church. And then last week we talked about why we're worshipers. We went more from what has happened that has carried us and formed us to this point, and now we're talking about decisions that we're making and expressions that we're making that shape us in the present and in the future. And so we talk about worship and why worship is so important, and it's a lifelong thing. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's something we should be doing all the time. And so today I want to take that a step farther and go from talking about how we encounter God, this vertical relationship, and I want to talk about this horizontal relationship and how we encounter one another and how we encounter people that are outside the walls of this building and uh, how we are together. So, this has been our trip so far. We've wondered about why we're Free Methodists, why are we Northwest, why are we worshipers, and why are we together. <coughs> Here's what I want you to keep in mind, and we'll come back to this a couple times in the message. We choose together. We choose to be people together. We choose together all the time in different ways. We choose community with people who do not know Jesus, do not love Jesus, but we have chosen uh, ways to interact with them and to be around them and to be cooperative with them in our society. But we also choose together that is part of the body of Christ. And when we choose together, it defines things differently for us. And so we're going to look at that. So keep in mind, we choose together, and we'll come back to that. Something that I've seen happen over uh, the years of my life, particularly the years of my adulthood, the last 20 years, is that I've noticed the people in America, and even in our part of America, are more and more isolated from one another. And you've probably noticed this too. We've seen it in ways that are really obvious. So 20 years ago, if I'd have gone with some of you out to eat after church, we sat down at a restaurant, we'd have sat there and we would have observed people in conversation at other tables, and, and we probably would have observed one or two other people sitting by themselves eating, and something else has been introduced into that, and it's, it's rendered us a little bit more isolated, and if we go out after church and go and eat this afternoon in a restaurant, we would probably sit there and you could look around and most of the people in the restaurant would have a phone in front of them. And people even sitting by themselves, instead of looking around and observing what is happening in the room, are probably reading about impeachment proceedings or stock market quotes or words with friends or watching social media posts of somebody that's down in the Caribbean on vacation. And what's happened in that is, is we've become more connected and more isolated at the same time. We've been given more access to information and knowledge, and at the same time, it's rendered us less accessible personally. And it's not just because of cell phones. So we go back beyond that to the, you know, the internet and how we got the internet. And now all of a sudden, you know, it, it, about 15, 20 years ago, it became pretty common that you could just 
boot up your computer, you can go find all kinds of information, and you can connect with all kinds of other people, and yet we became more comfortable connecting to or through the computer than someone standing or sitting around the sidewalk. And so we've become people who are kind of singled out. And it's pretty easy for someone, it's, it's actually doable, for someone living in Wichita today to spend a large part of their week without any direct interpersonal contact with anyone else. I've got email, I've got text, I've got instant messaging, I can keep everybody at arm's length and they don't see my facial expressions, they don't read my body language, they don't smell my body odor. And I feel protected, I've got this wonderful technological buffer, but those people don't really know me. They don't know the wonder of personal connection and they don't know the awkwardness of personal connection. There's something about being around other people that requires us to not only see and experience the beauty of the bodies we've been given, but also some of the awkward things. So they don't smell our bad breath, and they don't see the bad hair days, but they also don't see the smile and the wink and the, the little grimace that goes unspoken and communicate so much more. So in this world where we now can be singled out and isolated, loneliness has become a huge epidemic. And I just want to suggest to you that we need to do a little bit of definition and, and, and separation here to understand how this is happening. Because there's two terms that are used by sociologists and psychologists around us to describe what's going on. The one term is loneliness that we didn't hear much about several years ago. People didn't talk about the epidemic of loneliness. We're hearing a lot more about this today. The, the other term we use is social isolation. They don't necessarily mean the same thing. They are not the same thing. They're related, but they're not the same thing. And we need to understand that there are people who have social isolation, but they're not necessarily lonely. And then there are people who are lonely, but they're not really socially isolated. We're trying to unpack that community at the moment. You see, loneliness can happen when we're in a crowd of people. Someone, somebody sitting here today probably feels very lonely. Probably feels You know why I know that? Because here's the thing. A study that was done here in the United States very recently determined that 54% of adult women, 54% of adult women say there is no one in their life that knows them well. Think about that for a moment. More than half of women in our society say there is no one that knows me well. That's loneliness. That's loneliness. So loneliness can happen in a crowd. There's people I work with, there's people I go to church with, there's people in my family, and I'm around family, but none of them really know me, and I do not reveal myself to them. I keep that all hidden. I, I exercise that buffer between me and them. So loneliness can happen in a crowd. Social isolation cannot. Social isolation. That's tricky. Social isolation. 
I know. I did this to myself. Social isolation. Oh. <laughs> now it's going to be a mental block. Okay, that, that thing, SI, social isolation, must include a lack of contact with others in order for that to happen. However, some SI is actually good. Sometimes it's good for us to experience solitude, quiet. To step away from the hubbub around us and say, you know what, I just need some alone time. That can be a healthy, life-giving thing. Loneliness is not life-giving. Loneliness kills us. And as I read through some articles and some studies that have been done, there are studies that have been done where they track the health of people who describe their life as being lonely and their health issues went up dramatically. Heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, things like that showed up way more often among people who said they were lonely. In fact, one of the things that I read was a little bit reassuring to me and maybe would be to some of you. If you own a pet, a dog or a cat, statistically you have a better chance of being more healthy mentally. Isn't that crazy? Because we're in contact with another living thing that comes up to us, and if you own a pet that's a great pet, you know you can come home from the worst day, and they're happy to see you. Isn't that great? And if you're married to a great spouse, you can come home from the worst day, and they're happy to see you. So social isolation, SI, can be good or bad. Let's not go there. That's true. I, you know, just, you know. Okay, let's move on. Because we're going to get in trouble. Loneliness is never good. Loneliness, I, I don't think. Now, you could, if you think, I hate Nash, I don't want to talk about because I think there are times in loneliness that positive things. I don't think loneliness is ever a good thing. I do not think we were made to enjoy that experience. But social isolation can be a positive thing. So there's that little demarcation, a different thing. They're not always synonymous, although sometimes they go together. And, and this is where we find people who are single out. This is where we find people who are disconnected, even though they're surrounded by hundreds of people. Even though one click of the mouse could connect them with another person, they're still lonely. So let's dig a little bit deeper. Loneliness is how we think and feel about our social interaction. Let me say that again. Loneliness is how we think and feel about our social interactions. So if I feel threatened, if I feel fear, if I feel rejection in social interaction, I will be lonely. I will feel lonely. But here's the good news. Loneliness can be overcome by addressing the quality of relationships. I'm going to come back to that quality thing. Loneliness can be overcome. That's what, if you're going to underline something right now, underline that. It can be overcome. If you say, I am in this life and I feel like there's nobody that knows me, that nobody that cares about me, that can change. Praise God. Okay? 
Remember what I said at the beginning? We choose together. We choose that definition of being together. That is a decision that we make. So let's look at Scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, just two verses tell us this. The writer, the author of the Hebrews says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope. Some versions say the profession of our faith. Without wavering, because the one who made the promises is reliable. And let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. A little different translation you might be used to, right? And don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. I'm going to come back and we're going to go through this again toward the end of my message. But I just, I go back to this and I think let us consider each other. And that part you might want to underline. So if we've encountered God, if we've experienced the love of God, we live in a new community of God. Theologically, you probably would accept that. You go, well, I understand that. I'm now part of the body of Christ. I understand the theology of how I'm adopted. I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm a joint heir with Jesus. I understand the whole doctrine of that stuff. I'm now part of a new community of God. We might even go farther than that and say, I even understand not just the theology. Here's another big word for you. I understand the ecclesiology of that. I had a big conversation about that over the last two weeks with a couple of other pastors. Ecclesiology is what we believe about how we relate to each other at the body of Christ. And so the big conversation between me and the other pastors is how do we relate? And how do we influence each other? Because one of the pastors was saying, yeah, you have an opinion, but I don't care. I mean, that's, that's my really, really rough translation of what was going on. And, and, and this other pastor and I were going, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have something to say about this. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm not letting you talk. And we go, you have to let us talk. That is a part of what we believe about being the body of Christ. I'm your fellow believer. I'm your peer pastor. If you don't take my word, it's like you're rejecting the word of God. Those are heavy, heavy words. And not only was I saying that for his benefit because we saw something that gave us concern, but I was saying it for my benefit because here's the thing. I can't reject what you say either. I believe God speaks to every one of you. And that's part of my ecclesiology is that at any moment, the word that comes out of your mouth that I get to hear might be a direct word from the Lord. So here's the thing. Being a part of this new community of God, it's not just about being adopted, relabeled, now I'm a child of God. It's also about the relationship I have with every other person who is a child of God, and it's also about the relationship with I, I have with every other person who's alive at this moment. And... It's about the relationship I have with every person who has come before me, who has run after the Lord, and who has found him. And I don't have time to unpack all of that, but I'd love to. So here's the thing. This, is, this new community of God is, is about more than just people who get together in the same room on a Sunday morning and sing songs together because we like being together. 
This is about people who are encountering God and taking that encounter out into the world around them. We are a new community of God, and if we're a new community of God, together means more than numbers. So we might be tempted to say something about, you know, the body of Christ down the street at one of these other churches, I can go in several directions, that body is stronger, that body of Christ is better looking than we are, that body of Christ is more impressive because they have a thousand people and we've got a hundred. That body is ten times the body we are. We might be tempted to use the world's definitions of quality in those terms, but God does not. God does not. I, I don't have to remind you, I'm sure most of you are, some of you probably already jumped to this passage of Scripture, where we are reminded that where two or three are gathered in the name of the Lord, He is there with them. So the quality of being a part of the body of Christ does not have anything to do with numbers. It has to do with relationship and presence. So together means more than just numbers. Together means depth. And intensity. So being a part of the community of God isn't just about, you know, I'm one of a of hundred here at Northwest. I'm, I'm one of close to a couple of hundred free Methodists in Wichita. I'm, I'm close to, I mean, I'm, I'm part of several thousand in Wichita that are Protestant. Tens of thousands of Wichita that call themselves Christian. And if we just keep pushing the circles out, we're close, we're, we're, we're part of millions that are alive in the world that say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And if we push it out even beyond that, say, through the scope of history, everybody who has found themselves in Jesus Christ, who have experienced life with Him, who have experienced redemption from Him. We're, we're part of billions. But it's not just about numbers. You see, together means qualitative, not necessarily quantitative relationship. Being together, when we choose together, it means we choose a certain quality of relationship with one another. <laughs> You remember last week, those of you that were here, that I talked about some churches seeming like more of a social club because we like to get together, we like to get together with people we like. Well, the quality of relationship in the body of Christ has something to do with diversity. It means we get together with people that are not necessarily like us. It means we stand shoulder to shoulder with people that we would not ordinarily choose to. It means we stand close to people who are uncomfortable to stand close to. Let me share a story with you. Years ago, as a young pastor, first church we pastored together as a married couple. Went to this church, a little church in southern Illinois in a coal mining town, and wonderful, God-fearing people who were, on average, about 50 years older than came even up. And there was a lady who came. She walked across the street from a house that was just cat a corner to the church building. It was a rundown house, and, and I got to know right away that her family was dysfunctional, and you could write dysfunctional in all caps. They were a mess. 
And she would come over, she would walk across the street, she was blind. I, she had a little bit of sight, eyesight, but not much. And so her grandson would leave her. He would take her by the hand and walk across the street, come to church, and her grandson or granddaughter would sit with her in church. None of the rest of her family would come. Her husband didn't come, her children didn't come. It was just her and a couple of her grandkids. And as the story was unfolded over time, as they trusted me in the story, it just got more and more painful and hard. And there were stories of abuse and neglect and poverty. And eventually she left her husband and she actually had to move to a neighboring town to get into public housing. And so I started driving over to pick her and her grandkids up. And when I started doing this, I'd go over, I'd drive over, and I'd pick her up on a Sunday morning, and I'd pull up in front of the house, and she made sure her grandson, Tony, was out front, and he would watch for me, and maybe run to the house and knock on the door, and they'd come out and get in the car, and I'd drive him. And she'd sit up front with me, and the two grandkids were in the back seat. And I've got to tell you that it was about a 15-minute drive to get her back to the church. It was the hardest 15 minutes of my day on a Sunday morning. It was hard to regain my composure and think holy thoughts because of the way she smelled. Okay? And there were times when I complained about this, this feeling, I don't want to have to go over to get her. I don't, you know, the whole experience is unpleasant, and I've got to come back and smile and preach. And, and then the Lord did something over the course of about a year, a year and a half in our relationship to where the Lord just checked me through some other people, but also directly. and said, you know, this is a privilege for you, Hendrick. Get in the car, go over there and get it. And share the love of God with them. Because they're your sister and hopefully soon you'll be your brother and sister in Christ these young kids. And so I did it. And it wasn't fun. And it wasn't very many of us. And it was uncomfortable at times just to be near her. But I felt that the Lord told me I had to. I needed to. And I found out that I was privileged. Because the quality of our relationship defines us. It wasn't the number of people in the car. It wasn't that, you know, we experienced miracles driving down the road, but just those conversations with her on the way to church, sharing her broken heart with me, and us praying together at times, sometimes laughing as we drove up to church and enjoying that time. Thank the Lord somebody else took her home off the church. And God's been the thing. Together means qualitative, not quantitative relationship building. Together also means more than just about our mental health. So it's not just we, we come together here because this gets me through the week. This gives me some peace. I get to you know I get to pray and I get to take care of some anxiety and I get to have some social interaction that helps me to be a better person. It's about way more than that. You see, together means a more accurate representation of God that the body of Christ will be. And there's this wonderful passage where Paul is kind of unpacking what it means to be the body of Christ. And he goes, you know, if you're an eye, you can't say to the foot, I don't need you. You know, here's another really bad paraphrase of that. But 
if I'm the pastor, I can't say to the woman who has body odor, you can't come back. You know, if I'm the parent, I can't say I am not related. I have nothing to do with the abuse. Now, we may want to define that and have some very healthy boundaries. We absolutely need that. But if that's a brother or sister in Christ, that is a qualitative definition of being together. We can't say it's only rich people here. We can't say it's only educated people here. We can't say it's only young people here. We can't say it's only healthy people here, no. In order for us to be an accurate representation of the body of Christ, we are all broken. We are all broken, and we're all broken together. So here's the thing. This new community of God together means giving and receiving love. So my little expression of love was to drive to the next little town, to the public housing, and pick up this little family, a very broken family, and drive them to church. And on the way to church, with kids in the back, I would sing songs with them. I would tell them jokes. We would laugh. Sometimes we would cry. And I thought for about six months I'm doing all the giving. It's my gas, it's my car, it's my time, it's my sense of humor, whatever else I was contributing to the equation. And then I realized at one point that I'm not just giving, I'm also receiving. And these are, these are my friends. This is my sister. This is my body as well. Some of you have experienced this where you think, you know, I'm going to give, I'm going to serve. I'm going to, I'm going to serve with family promise. I'm going to give my time, or I'm going to give a meal to family promise because I'm more advantaged than these other people are. Or I'm going to serve, I'm going to give them to the food pantry, and I'm going to give my time and help them with some food. Or I'm going to serve with, you know, 252 kids on Wednesday night because they need help. Or here's a biggie, and this is probably the wrong day to talk about this. But I'm going to give and I'm going to serve on the tech team on Sunday morning. But here's what happens. And you know this. You've experienced this. When we give in the community of God, we receive. It's the craziest thing. It's an equation that doesn't seem to work. Where the more we can over, the more is handed to us. And some of you have experienced this where you sit down with a family and family promise and you come away going, what a delightful evening. Or you come here to the church and you go, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with these kids and they're all over the place and they have enough energy to outdo a nuclear power plant. <laughs> right? It's true, though. And you come away from that and you go, I am so fortunate to have these little ones under my feet. Yeah. You see, together means giving and receiving, and together means sharing the most vital resource we have. So here's, here's what I think. I think the most vital resource we have as a church, the most important thing we have to bring to the table, it's not our money, it's not our talent, it's not our time, it's our love. That's it. 
And so being part of this body of Christ, being part of being together means that we are going to offer love to one another. And there will be a moment when we will receive it. And that's being part of the community of God. So we choose together, which could also be stated as we choose to love one another. Jesus said to his followers, this is how they will know that you're my disciples, right? In that you love one another. That's our identity. That's who we are. I want you to watch. Let's see if this works. I want you to watch this quick video. Can we get that to go, Andy? Can you cue that? And then I'll wrap up that video. It's trying. This kind of defines our morning, doesn't it? Yeah, I've seen it. If it doesn't go here soon, we'll just move our long time. Did I go on, Andy? Okay, yeah, I'm saying it. Go on. Can you hop me to the next slide? All right. If we are part of this together, it means we're committed to the cause of Christ. It means that love and loneliness are linked. If we are going to address the issues of loneliness in the world, we've got to love the people who are lonely. That's what it amounts to. And here's the big one. We have to be ready to be loved by the lonely. Ready to say that again? We need to be willing to love the lonely, and we need to be ready to be loved by the lonely. I know I'm about out of time, but I've got to share this story. Um, before I met my wife, I was in college, and uh, there was a week that we would have in college. Some of you guys remember this. You were part of this. Sometimes we called it twerk week. The, the women asked out. Um, you know, where the, the, the girls were encouraged to ask guys out. Um, I mean, you know, it's a good thing. Um, but anyway, so it was twerk week, and this, this, there was this young lady on our campus, and she was a little bit socially awkward. She was not the best-looking person around. And um, her roommate came to me and said, you know, twerk week's coming up, and she wants to ask me out. And okay, so here's the confession moment. My first reaction is like, oh, no. please no. If you haven't ever been in that situation, thank God for you. But here I was, I was like, I, I know, no, I did not want to do this. But you know, I, you need to be the better person or something. So I said, well, okay. You know, and so then the day came where I was there in the dining hall, and she kind of very sheepishly walked by. She goes, oh, it's perfect. Would you like to do something the other day? Yes, I would like to do that. And I, <laughs> Forgive me. But, you know, yeah, that's fine. So we did, and we went to Dairy Queen and uh, walked over there to walk back. So thank you for asking me out. And, and that, that, was the, that was the extent of any kind of dating relationship we ever had. Um, and it was uncomfortable, it was awkward, because the whole time I'm sitting here going, how in the world do I let this young lady know that I am really not interested in much more of a relationship? 
Now, if you think for a moment, you go, what a strange anomaly for Pastor to have. <laughs> I've had those same feelings a thousand times over. Not in a romantic sense, but when somebody walks up to me and I know they're a needy person, they're going to demand of my time. They're going to demand of my attention. They're going to make me feel uncomfortable just by their very presence. Sometimes it's people who are socially awkward and I'm just waiting for them to say something that's inappropriate. Thankfully, none of you do that. <laughs> I did not say that. Sometimes it's people that have so much anger and bitterness inside them, I just, I don't really want to be around them. I don't, you know, we've all seen the memes. I don't need negative people in my life. But here's the thing. The love of God demands that I somehow extend love to them. That young lady, when I graduated from Central about a year later, I graduated from Central, she was in my graduating class, we were standing in line and went through the ceremony and came out, we were all celebrating, family was around, hugging and congratulating, and she came up to me and she hugged me and she was in tears, you know, I finished my junior college career, and she came up to me, she hugged me, and she said to me this, she said, Thank you for being such a good friend and treating me so well. Really? That's what I wanted about. I said, really? I may have put up with you. I treated you well. But I did. I, you know, I hugged her back and I said, congratulations for being done with college. And thanks for being my friend. And, thank, and then I added, thanks for asking me out that time. I to do it. You see, it's not just about loving the lonely, it's about being loved by the lonely, and that could be more When the person who is so hard to be around loves to be around you, you've had that happen. You and I have had that happen. And in that moment, we get to extend the love of Jesus to them, we get to be the hands and feet of Christ, because we get to make the decision to love. This is what together is about. It means when you're sitting in life group and the person starts divulging that really ugly story that they're being vulnerable to sharing with you, you take it seriously and you guard and you protect and you love them. It means when that person comes up to you out there in the foyer for the hundredth time to ask the same thing that you've told them know about, you go, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. I love you. It means when your pastor calls you again, you answer the phone. Please. Don't ask me to unpack that. No. We love each other. We are called to love each other. We are empowered to love each other. And that's not just something you contain in this building. That's something for us to take wherever we go throughout this week. Whoever we encounter, let us love one another. Love and loneliness are linked, and love is a decision. Together, is a decision to bring about the love in community. That we do this in this way, it's not just a one-on-one -on -one thing, it is a together thing. And then I'll to this. Together is not only where we have received love, but it's also where we give love. Dan? This one might work. Nope, nope, shut her off. That's an ad. We're not going to watch it. We're already over time. Oh, yeah, this was our scripture. 
Let's hold on to the confession of Ahabakamon without wavering, because the one who made the promises is reliable, and let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking joy and good deeds. Don't stop meeting together with other believers if some people are in the habit of doing. Instead, encourage one another, especially as you see the day drawing near. Everyone needs others who will intentionally remind them of God. 